So this is uh, no doubt probably the number one most often quoted scripture by non-Christians in the world. The people don't know the Bible, but they know this verse. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody say that really doesn't even know the Lord, judge not. In fact, why don't you turn to somebody and just give them a little judge not. Lest ye be judged. It's just like they always do it in the King James Version too. And so, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so, uh, this scripture is often twisted and taken out of context. And so, this morning, I just want to spend a little bit of time untwisting the truth. Um, by the way, I just have to acknowledge Ann and Bill Green, uh, Lisa Green's mom and dad. They're sitting on over here, really in, in the back. And so, we've been praying for her. We love your daughter. She's one of the most wonderful people in the world. And we're happy with you guys because we know that you guys are thankful that she's safe and that God has positioned her right, in, right there in Turkey with her ministry and her calling. And I just find it so interesting that Christian life is, has an extension right there into what's happening globally around the world. And so if you just raise your hand, some of y'all need to see Bill and Ann Green. These are wonderful people, been with us since we started the church. Amen. So let's read it. It's Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. I'm reading in the New American Standard Version. It says this, do not judge, these are the words of Jesus, do not judge that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. And by the standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. Or it will be measured to you. I know we've all heard people say, you don't have a right to judge me. I live the way I want to live. You live your life. You don't have a right to judge um, what I like, what I love, who I like, who I love, how I live, what I wear, what I do with my body, it's all my business. In fact, we live in this kind of culture right now where freedom of expression and freedom to be themselves really is probably the highest value that this culture lives in. And this judge not creed uh, in this godless culture is probably the single most sacred value, really, that this generation has. And I have to admit, everybody, it's really no fun to be judged. It really, even, even for us as believers, it's no fun to be judged, especially when you're being misjudged. Would you agree with me on that? Has anybody ever had that happen to, to them before? I think, of course, we all. When you've been judged wrongly, it can be uh, very frustrating, and it can be hurtful. And to be honest with you, uh, this is one of the things that the church needs to really get right, is to understand properly how to handle people who live a lifestyle or act or speak or, or behave differently than what we believe. In fact, this is because the church has handled this poorly through the generations. I think this is the reason why so many people have pulled away from the church. In fact, it's interesting, I just saw a research um, that was done by the Barna Institute, um, and they do a lot of research on uh, what's happening in the church world. And in, in the latest research, it, they said they, they're finding that interest in spiritual things is spiking right now in America. This kind of caught me by surprise, because interest in spiritual things is spiking while interest in church is dropping. Now, for us, we can say, that's just horrible. Or you can face the reality and say, this is a great opportunity for us. Because if interest in spiritual things is spiking, how many know that Jesus is the answer that they're looking for? They just don't know it yet. And that's why we have to learn how to quit being so churchy and turning people off. And we have to learn how to rightly handle people as we're making, as we're discerning how we're supposed to interact with them. So, because the church has a tendency to be judgmental and condemning and narrow-minded and hypocritical, I mean, to be honest with you, many times we misrepresent the spirit of Jesus and the way that he operated in, and, um, and I think we need to get this right. I'm just going to untwist some truth here that's twisted, 
And I want you to just kind of hang with me for about 30 minutes if you don't mind. Judge not that you be not judged. Now, when you start thinking about how to properly apply this verse, you have to think that frequently people apply this really, you know, as though uh, that this was a flat command against all moral judgment. In fact, when people look at this and think that this was a flat command that Jesus gave, then that just liberates them uh, to behave any way they want to, and nobody can question, nobody can make any judgment or assumptions about their life. Well, if, if it was just a flat command against all moral judgment, then we would have nothing but chaos in society, right? Think about it for a minute. If this was a flat command that said, judge not, and you, had, you were not able to make any moral judgment, then how would a jury ever stand and make a judgment and, or how would a judge, how would a judge pronounce a sentence? I mean, think, think about this, everybody. How would the police officers, and we have several that are in our church, how would they ever pull somebody over and correct misbehavior if they weren't making judgments? Amen? How does a teacher grade an essay? How... This is, there's no way that Jesus could meant that you can, that you cannot make any moral judgments or that you can't evaluate or discern right from wrong and make a statement about it or build a lifestyle around truth. So, culture says today that people can have sex with anybody that they want to. This is a prevailing, you know, reality of culture and that you don't have a right to tell them who they should have sex with. Well, just think about this. What, what if a random person is having sex with a 12-year-old? Can you make a judgment about that? Should you judge that? What if the random person is having sex with a 12-year-old, and as one person said, and that 12-year-old is your child? Do you think Jesus was saying that you are not allowed to make that judgment? You, you, you would probably make a judgment about that, wouldn't you, everybody? And so, I just want you to understand that if you take scriptures out of context and you use it as a weapon or as a way, means of defending your own biases or your own presuppositions or your own theology that you've developed, then you will go into error. And truth, any truth that is taken to the extreme becomes error. And that's why it's really important for us as believers in a world that is so confused about, in this culture that's so confused, it's so important for us as believers to really understand what is said in the Bible within its proper context and when we apply it to our lives to make sure that, that we're not making some crazy, wacky application. And we also should be able to defend the words of Jesus to people that are in the lost world. So in this year that we're really focused on equipping, we, I want to equip you in how to, how to understand Scripture, how to interpret Scripture. In fact, we said last week that the basics of good and accurate Bible uh, interpretation, that there are three steps. And number one, well, there are lots of steps, but I'm going to give you just the basics. Number one is that we need to find the context of what's being said. The context. The context is when we just take a, cup, a, a, a bigger step out instead of just looking at one verse and we say, we ask ourselves these questions. Who wrote it? To whom were they writing? What was the occasion of the writing? In fact, it's great for you to look and say, well, what was written before this statement was made and what was written after this statement was made? And then you get a bigger general view and it would help you not to just randomly take something out of context Here's the other thing, is that we said last week, and I teach all of our leaders here at Christian Life, that you always interpret Scripture with Scripture. And what that means is if you take a random Scripture out of, of, out of the Bible, can, can I just say this? If you want to, you can grab random Scriptures and you can make the Bible speak anything you want it to say. It's possible. And people do that in these days because they're not rightly dividing the word. They're not handling the word of God accurately. So you've got to interpret scripture with scripture. Hey, is it all right if I teach this to everybody today? I know this, I know we're, I know we're talking about um, 
knowledge and wisdom and understanding the word and you're like, well, just help me live for Jesus today, Pastor Ron. I'm helping you right now. This is going to help you. So you want to make sure that you interpret scripture with scripture. In other words, if you pull out a scripture and it doesn't fit within the overall doctrinal truth of God's word, if you if, if it's not in the Old Testament, if it's, if it's not in the New Testament and Jesus never spoke anything about it, you ought to just forget it. Don't go building your life on that one. So it needs to interpret Scripture with Scripture. We don't filter, let me say it this way, everybody. Never filter the Bible with your feelings. Okay? We cannot build beliefs based on our built-in biases and beliefs. We have to let our biases and our beliefs submit and surrender the truth of God's Word. And here's the third thing. You find context, interpret Scripture with Scripture, and then you must always apply the truth. I think one of the most frustrating things for unbelievers that we're trying to win to Christ is that we have knowledge and we understand what the Scripture says. We understand how we're supposed to live, but we don't live it. And then when we present ourselves as being believers and they look at our lives and say, well, you never apply what you believe, I guess it's not that important to you because we're not living. What good does the word do for us personally if we never apply it to our lives? Hello? And so it's my job to help pastor us through this. So with that in mind, let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, and let's rightly untwist the Scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 and 2, don't judge or you will be judged. Because if you judge others, um, that same way you'll be judged back to you. For your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. Now, in chapter 7, Jesus, I think it's fair for me to say this, Chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus is not teaching us to abandon good judgment. What he's teaching us is to have good judgment with some self-awareness. Okay? This is one of the main points I want you to get, and that Jesus is teaching us to have some self-awareness. And we live in a world today where people seem to have no self-awareness. In other words, how am I acting? What am I saying? How is it being presented to the listeners or the watchers? And so as believers, it's very important for us to understand that so that our, line, our lives line up in alignment with God's Word. So Jesus is teaching us to have some self-awareness. Okay, I want to look at this verse again. He's talking to you and I. He says in Matthew 7, 1 and 2, do not judge that you will not be judged. For in the same way you judge, you will be judged. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. Uh, yeah, so I underlined all the words that had to do with you. Okay? Now, I'm not, I, I, sh I should have said we because it sounds like I'm really pointing my finger at you. But it's really all of us. We need some self-awareness. Tell somebody, I need some self-awareness. Here's the point. Don't become an expert on the shortcomings and the flaws of other people without working on yourself. Don't become or present yourself as an expert on the flaws, shortcomings of other people, and never look at yourself. Amen? I mean, I'll show you. Jesus explained it more in more detail. Verse 3, Matthew chapter 7 why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a big old piece of wood in your eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. The Bible has a lot to say about judging correctly and so let's interpret some Scripture with Scripture, okay? And so the first thing we want to see, I think, is that Jesus has a context for what's being said in this passage of Scripture. In fact, 
the context is the Sermon on the Mount. Now, if you've been in Sunday school, you've probably heard the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's the first teaching that Jesus gave when he was declaring the kingdom of God is coming. And he starts with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 4 and then chapters 5, 6, and 7. He's on the side of a mountain and he is, and, 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 and the Jews have gathered all around him and he begins this incredible sermon. And basically he's saying that the kingdom of God is coming and these will be the characteristic, uh, characteristics of my followers that live in God's kingdom. And he gives a whole bunch of really exhaustive detail. In other words, he says, this looks like religion, but this is really what Christianity is going to be like. And he, and he, and he gives the sermon on the mount. And in that sermon on the mount, chapter 5, 6, and part of 7, as part of that, we can find the context. Jesus is speaking to people about the subject of the kingdom of God is coming and how the followers or his people in the kingdom of God were going to live their life. And I want you to see something because one of the major themes in chapter 6, the scriptures before Matthew chapter 7 verse 1, is the theme of hypocrisy. So everybody say, oh boy. Hypocrisy. Let me just show you this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2, Jesus said, So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the, say it, hypocrites do. Okay? Chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the, say it, everybody, hypocrites. And verse 16, and when you fast, do not look somber like the, hypocrites. Isn't that one of the biggest complaints about non-church people is that I don't want to go to church with a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I got a couple of things to say. I think the best place for hypocrites to be is in the church so they can hear sermons like this. Let me rephrase that. I think the best place we can be when we tend to be hypocritical is in the church with one another, listening to the Word of God so the Holy Spirit can correct our phoniness or our tendencies for a lack of awareness to become hypocritical. So we don't want to be judgmental with everybody. We want to look, take a look at our own selves. By the way, the, the word hypocrite in the original uh, Greek language, it, it simply means one who plays a role. It is the word that was used for actors. In other words, they, they act one way, but that's not really who they are. They're just playing a role. We never want that to be said of us, right, everybody? And Jesus is addressing that. And the religious leaders are listening, and he's saying, you're acting one way, but that's not really who you are. Just because you look like you are religious doesn't make you really a kingdom person. Later in chapter 7, remember we, chapter 6, I looked at some verses, what, what's the theme there? Hypo hypocrisy. Then in chapter 7, after verse 1, verse 15, Jesus says, watch out for false prophets because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. In other words, watch out for those hypocritical false prophets because they're playing a role. They act like they're sheep, but these guys are ferocious. These women will devour you. So can I just say this to you? If Jesus was giving a blanket statement, never judge anybody, then how would you ever discern if somebody's a false prophet? So it's obviously he wants us to be able to discern what's accurate and what's true without being able to make any judgment. There would be no protection against falsehood. Is everybody following me? Okay. So, chapter 7, verse 1. Don't judge unless you will be judged. Let's get some clarity by interpreting Scripture with Scripture because there are many other places in the Bible where this topic of judging and making judgment comes up. So we're going to interpret Scripture with Scripture, all right? So John chapter 7, verse 24 is another place where Jesus talked about judging people. And he says this, Stop judging according to outward appearances, Rather judge according to righteous judgment. Stop judging according to outward appearances, 
but judge rightly. Now, remember the context. We're now we're in another passage of Scripture, and the context of this verse has to do with the Jews, that the religious Jews that were finding fault with Jesus. They didn't want to listen to what he said because he was always confronting their hypocrisy. And so, in chapter 7 of John, it's very interesting because Jesus has performed a miracle and he did it on the Sabbath day. And they were looking to find a reason to accuse him of not being authentically the Messiah. And so, they thought he broke the law. And they were making this declaration, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine what kind of religion that you, are, you enjoy when somebody needs a miracle and they get a miracle, but you don't care about the miracle because it broke the rules that you had established? That's kind of like the height of hypocrisy. Wouldn't you say amen? So, in verse 24, it's like Jesus says something that doesn't really fit there. He says, stop judging by outward appearance. But if you back up to verse 15, you'll see that it says of Jesus that they were, some marveled whenever he was teaching, and they said this, how can this man teach like this when he has never studied? You'll find this in John chapter 7. Everybody keep your thinking hat on. I want to teach you the word today. And they were saying, how does he have this wisdom? He's never been a student of any of the great rabbis. He's never been part of any of the schools of the law. And so, who does he think that he is? And others would say, I don't care if he's been to school or not. Listen to the wisdom that he's teaching. I want you to see this. And so, that's when Jesus said that don't judge on the outward appearance. I mean, some people were judging him and saying he must have a demon because he He's got this power, this magical power to deliver people. And others say he can't be right with God because his life is not in alignment with the, with the Scripture. And Jesus says, you're looking on the outward appearance. And he said this, this teaching is not mine. It comes from God. So, what's the lesson here, everybody? I, I want you to write this down. Here's lesson number one, is that we should never judge people superficially. We should never judge superficially. One teacher says, don't judge people from a distance because you're so far removed from their lives, you don't really know what you're talking about. I remember years ago when my family, my family's here from Louisiana, and we, last night we were just reminiscing and laughing, and when I lived in Baton Rouge, I was part of our home church. I was on staff at our home church. It was a large mega church down in Louisiana, and um, and when I went on the staff, the occasion of me going on the staff, I was planting a church and my wife was uh, killed in an automobile accident. And you guys, most everybody knows this story, and it's many, many years ago. But I was just a young man, and the pastor of the church, Larry Stockstill, where mom and dad and a lot of my family went to, um, he called me right away. Long story short, he offered me a job. I moved 200 miles to, Louise, to Baton Rouge to be close to my parents, my sisters that helped me with Ashley and Lucas that are here today. And, um, and so, I, I was there in the church, and Pastor Larry um, had enough wisdom to make sure that he didn't overwhelm me with a bunch of uh, pastoral duties. I was in healing mode, recovery mode, adjusting to becoming a single dad with two little kids, and that sort of thing. So, they they broke me into ministry on that big staff by giving me responsibilities that I could manage. And one of them was I would have a tendency, or it was me that often got assigned to go pick up our guest speakers that were coming, flying in from all around the world. Being a megachurch, anybody that was um, well-known, and I'll use this word loosely, famous in the Christian circles would always want to come and preach at our home church because it was one of the leading churches in America. And so, I would pick them up in the airport, and I would bring them uh, to the office and take care of their needs, and then I would transport them to the back. It was something that I could do. It wasn't heavy. It wasn't overwhelming me. And um, I remember I was picking up this one very well-known, I'm not going to name him, a very well-known uh, minister that was famous worldwide, and I picked him up at the airport. And uh, he was doing the weekend services. And then small talk was happening, and I was driving back from the airport to our church. 
And in the small talk, he asked me, are you single? Or are you married? I said, I'm single. And I didn't explain anything because I can particularly remember, I didn't want to tell the story. Have you ever gone through something that's so difficult you get tired of telling the story? Because one question leads to another question, and the next thing you know, everybody's wanting to, you to talk about things that's just tearing your heart out. You really don't want to feel the pain of that story. I didn't want to relive the story on a drive with a famous preacher. I just didn't want to talk about it. So he said, are you married? I said, I'm single. And he said, okay, well, cool. I pulled him up into our house, into the lobby of the church, and I walked him in to introduce him to Pastor Larry. And my two little kids who are here today, much bigger than they were then, my two little kids saw me, and they come running up to Dad. Hey, Dad, Dad. One of them grabs my leg, the other one grabs my, my hand, and we walk in, and I didn't think anything of it. Just, I'm single. Yeah, I got two kids. And the pastor preached that weekend and didn't really have much to say to me anymore, and I interacted with him a little bit, but felt a little distance from him. And so I didn't care. I had bigger things to worry about than his attitude toward me. Anybody ever been there before? And so it's Monday morning, it's time for me to pick the pastor up and take him back to the airport. So I pick him up, we're driving back, we pull up to the airport and he says, uh, Ron, would you just stay here for a minute? He says, I need to tell you something. I'm like, sure. He says, um, I have to apologize to you. He said, when you picked me up and I asked you if you were single and you said yes, but then when we arrived, your little kids came running to your side. I made a judgment about you and your character. First of all, I thought that you were divorced and I thought that you were lying to me about the circumstances. And he said, but afterwards, Pastor Larry explained to me what's just happened to you. And he began to weep. And he said, I judged you by outward appearance and I need to repent to you for that I think as believers we have to be so on guard and I think this is what Jesus is teaching us about that we jump to conclusions you know today divorce is so rampant in ministry today I don't think that guy would even think anything but back then 30 years ago 35 years ago in our particular church it was such a big deal and, and now I look back and I think so many times that we make judgments about people that are from a distance and we don't really know what they're going about, what's going on in their lives and we judge them by the outward appearance. I'm, can I just say this everybody? There is a world that is filled with people that are dying and going to hell because they've had no encounters with the love of God. And when we judge people based on their appearance at surface level and form an attitude because we don't like what they believe, the way they behave, or, or, or what's going on in their life, then we automatically are shutting them down when it comes to experiencing God's love and having an encounter with Him. And it ought not to be so. If you believe that, can you give me a big amen? amen. All right. So... You know, many times we judge people by appearance. We don't like their accent. We don't like what they wear. We don't like what they smoke or what they drink. We don't like if they've been married before. We don't like because they need to lose some weight. We don't like it because they wear too much makeup. We don't like it. We, I mean, we've seen this stuff here at Christian Life happen where people have, you know, I thank God for every time a person comes in and says that they feel loved and accepted at Christian Life in their first visit, I'm just telling you, it thrills my heart. Because I know how many times people have come in and I've gotten a note or they never come back because they didn't feel loved and they felt judged when they came into this church. And everybody, I'm so proud of you because this is a very loving church. Let's do not let it slip. Let's don't judge people by their outward appearance. Let's judge people righteously. Can you say amen? amen. Let's, let's do another one. Romans chapter 2. Bible says a lot about judge judging people properly. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. 
you, you, this is what the Scripture says. Paul is speaking to the church at Rome. You may think you can condemn such people. What such people? We'll find the context in a minute. Let me just show you the verse. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. Look, when you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do the very same things. Everybody say, whoa, strong. This is Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul gives this long list of sinful behaviors that people were uh, living in during that day. I'm going to tell you what they are. And you can read it if you want to, but the context is, is that there is a group of people that are moving away from God, and he names homosexual men, lesbian women. I'm sorry, but he names them, and he says that their behavior is shameful. And then, you know, just by me saying that, some of you are wincing right now, because we live in a society right now that calls things that are sinful as righteous, and righteous things really that people don't understand. So I want you to see there's this long list. He also adds to that list murderers. That's really bad. Can you say amen? Amen. Backstabbers. Pride, proud, the proud. He adds the greedy. Gossipers. Promise breakers. People who are heartless and show no mercy. There's this long list. And then he says, and they will deserve the punishment that they get. And then the flow of teaching runs right into Romans chapter 2. I'll repeat it. Now, you may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad. When you take a look at the context, then this thing, this verse, all of a sudden serves up not just a little punch, but a huge wallop. Because he's saying that we when we have no self-awareness and are acting hypocritically, that our behavior is just as bad. I'm just trying to untwist the Scripture here, everybody. I want you to get this. And so, verse 3 since, of chapter 2, since you judge others for doing these things, who do you think can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? All right, what's the lesson number two? I'm going to give it to you. Lesson number two is that we should never judge hypocritically. We should never judge superficially, and we should never judge hypocritically. That's what the whole teaching was about that Jesus was giving at the Sermon on the Mount. And Paul is teaching the believers in Rome to be careful about pointing out the faults faults of other people when they're doing the same type of sins. In fact, I love verse 4. Oh, come on, everybody, take a look at this. The Apostle Paul said, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can you say amen to that? I want you to take just a moment and think about this. How wonderfully kind, how incredibly patient, and tolerant God is with us. And then he says... Does this mean nothing to you? I know, boy, it's so quiet. I'm sorry. This is just one of these sermons, everybody. We can bring Asa back up if y'all just want to laugh and have some joy. But look, look what he says. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Boom. Can you see that? In fact, it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So how many of us in this room came to the Lord because of his kindness, his love, his tolerance, his long-suffering, and you just can't believe that God hadn't already judged you and condemned you and, and wiped his hands of you? Is anybody in here humble enough to say, thank you, Jesus, you didn't quit on me? Come on, everybody. And so, have we ever noticed that we have a tendency to accuse others and excuse ourselves? 
we have a tendency to accuse others and excuse ourselves. In fact, I love this Craig Rochelle who does a lot of teaching at Life Church on this. He says this, the place where you issue your harshest judgments often reveal your deepest weaknesses. Because typically the things that you're judging other people about, you've been triggered because you struggle with it yourself. Instead of judging other people about the things that are triggering you, how about you just focus on the love and the kindness and the patience and the mercy of God and be his advocate, be his hands extended to other people and say, you know what? I have a tendency to do that sometimes. I struggle with this thing and we're in this together. Let me point you to one who loves you no matter how you handle yourself. Amen? So, don't judge superficially. Don't judge hypocritically. Are y'all good for one more? All right. One more. This one is found. I'm just finding some clarity interpreting Scripture with Scripture, untwisting things that are used inappropriately. And this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12 and 13. Again, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Oh, oh listen, I, everybody, I'm really excited about this point. I'm just, this is just a pause. You got to get this. If, if I bored you and, you and you're thinking about the Super Bowl right now, just take a pause on that. Focus in with me right here, everybody, because this is really important. As I'm pastoring this church, it's really important because I want this to be in, ingrained in the fabric of everything we do. I want this to be part of our DNA. I, I, want, I want you to really get this, and I want to have this too. What business it is, is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And then he says, expel the wicked person from among you. Now, you can't really interpret this verse without context. Right, everybody? You just can't do it. And you already are thinking, wait a minute. Should we be kicking people out of the church? Okay, so what's the context? You got to step, take, take a step back, get a broader view. In the first letter to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul identifies a man who's living in the congregation who is having an immoral relation, an immoral relationship with his stepmom. In fact, he basically has stolen his, his father's bride. You say, what in the world? This is 2023, people. You would not be shocked if something like that happened here. Would you, everybody? And so, he would not repent. And that we'd have no indication that the woman, the stepmom, that she was a part of the church, but this man was. And the apostle Paul writes and says, y'all going to have to, you're going to have to deal with this. You cannot let in the congregation this kind of behavior go on with no repentance and not addressing it. And so, in the second letter, he's coming back to this. And this is the topic of what he's talking about. Have y'all dealt with this guy yet? And the apostle Paul is saying, we have to make a judgment about people who are living in rebellious, unrepentant, open sin, basically thumbing their nose at the word of God and at the leadership of the church. So expel him, discipline him, remove him. And perhaps when he's out away from all of his protective relationships, he will feel a loss and come to his senses, and the deception will lift, and he'll get right with God. Are you with me, everybody? So, the Apostle Paul has said, we have a responsibility for how we behave within the family, right? But you don't tell how people to act that are not part of the family. We have cared off codes in our house, and, and it's really important the way we behave, but I'm not going to impose my family rules upon somebody else outside of my family. Same way in the kingdom of God. Come on, everybody. Are you with me? All right. So, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, a few scriptures before, look what he says. I wrote to you in my first letter not to associate with, associate with sexually immoral people. 
Very important, verse 10. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers and the idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Did y'all know that was in the Bible? See, the reality is, is that God wants us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. He wants us to be in the middle of where darkness um, is manifesting so that we can bring some light to the world. We have to be really careful because I'm telling you, the world is really in a really uh, in a, in a moral um, state right now, and we want to protect our children, we want to protect our minds and all this kind of stuff. But if we shun the world and only hang out with the few that we are comfortable with, how will they ever come to Christ? Okay, I'm preaching really good and you're not amening, but I know I'm going to just keep going. Here's the lesson, everybody. Number one, never judge people superficially. Number two, don't judge them hypocritically. And number three, never judge non-Christians by Christian standards. This is one of the most important things you're going to hear today. It's because when you're making judgment on people that are not Christians based on your Christian standards, then you are judging their behavior when they don't even have a heart that's been renewed or changed or saved. Come on, somebody give me an amen. This is so important for us because we have a lot of people that we rub shoulders with that they don't care about your Christian standards. And if you keep harping and you keep pounding that drum, they will never come to Christ. And if you ridicule and make fun of them, then you're not operating in the spirit of Jesus. When Jesus called Matthew, who was a nasty, vile tax collector in the eyes of the Jews, when Jesus called Matthew to come follow him, Matthew said, will you come to my house? And he cooked dinner for him. And notorious other tax collectors and sinners showed up at Matthew's house. Listen to this. And the Pharisees, Matthew chapter 9, verse 11, they saw this and they asked his disciples, what does your t- why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he's like, oh, y'all talking about me again. He heard that. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Those who are sick do. Learn what this means. I want mercy, not sacrifices. I have come to, I have come to call sinners. I have come to call sinners, not people who think they already have God's approval. When the church world tries to hold non-Christians to the same standards as Christians, it always goes bad. It's God's business to judge the non-Christian world. It's our business to show them how much Jesus loves them. Can I say it again? It's God's business to judge the world. It's our business to show them how much Jesus loves them. It's our business to live at peace and demonstrate what you have found in Christ so that they might find an interest and start seeking God. There are, a lot, there are a lot of people that are in this church and I've watched them. They come in and they're, 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 not, they're not yet Jesus followers. And I, I watched them come in and some of them go to cell groups and you might not be some of you in here yet. You're interested, but you're not all in. You want to know more. And I, what, what a shame it would be for us to have a dozen people that are filtering in here because the Lord is drawing them to Christ. And when they come in here, we gripe and complain about what they got on or the language that they use or if they smell like alcohol or if they're out in the parking lot smoking a cigarette. Is anybody listening to me? And what a shame it would be if when they come in, they're confronted with a bunch of hypocritical, judgmental people that make them uncomfortable in their own skin. Everybody, I'm just pastoring the church here, and I, I want you to see this. There, there are people that don't dress like us. They don't they talk like us. They're not raising their kids the same way that we do. And here's a radical thought. Would, would it be possible to believe that maybe we could let them belong even before they believe the Bible? Would it be, would, would it be possible for us to say, you're welcome here. You can belong even when you're not behaving the way we want you to? I mean, 
Jesus hung out with these people, and it was the religious ones that judged him. They judged him by his appearance and saying, you must not be the Messiah because you would never hang out with those kinds of people. I'm just going to say it again, everybody. We are not called to change people. We're called to love people and introduce them to a God who loves them and wants to forgive them. After all, he is the one who has the power to change their lives. And if you are in here watching online or if you're in here sitting in these seats and you're uncomfortable right now, I'm, I'm just telling you, I want you to be here. And I want you to have opportunities to discover the truth. And I'd love to sit down with you and just talk about the Bible. And I'd love for you to just hang out with some of the other believers that are here at Christian Life who are thankful that God had mercy on them and how that God still has mercy on them and he saved them and changed them in spite of their own sinfulness and their own past. My pops is here. I could just tell you some stories. It would be, I wish I could put him on a chair up here and let him talk about how God delivered him and my mom from a life of wandering in sin. And through this one move that God made towards my mom, all my brothers and sisters and their families that are sitting in here today are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, loving God because the course of our family was changed because one person loved Jesus and got right with God. That's... Now, if you're in here and you're not yet servant of Jesus and you have an agenda and that you want to push your agenda on people or deceive or harm or hurt or you're a threat to our children in the back, things aren't going to go very well with you. But if you're hungry and you're interested in Jesus, we love having you around here. Can all the congregation give us a big amen on that? Amen. Amen. Uh, he that loveth, he that's forgiven of much loveth much. That's why Andy, uh, Ashley Hayes is always standing up giving me a round of applause. You know, Tra- Tracy and Ashley have a ministry. They're reaching out to homeless every week. Every week. They were barely married when they got here. Ashley was suffering from cancer. And I, I don't know how many hours we spent talking through how to love one another, forgive one another. God has transformed them, filled them with the Spirit. Now they're on the streets every week. They're not perfect, trust me, I know. I fish with Ashley all the time. <laughs> but how many of you would be okay if they just loaded up the busload of all the homeless people that they're feeding on Wednesdays and Thursday nights and they brought them here on a Sunday morning? Okay, you're you're clapping. You're clapping. Because they're going to smell different. They're going to look different. They're going to talk different. They're going to walk different. And they will change the atmosphere in this room differently. But come on, everybody. He that's forgiven much, loveth much. Can I just give you one more quick thing? I'm done. Here's the last thing that I'll just say. Here's a bunch of nevers. Never judge superficially. Never judge hypocritically. Come on, everybody. Don't, don't ever do that stuff. And never judge others outside of the kingdom with your Christian standards. And the last thing is, never give up on a fallen Christian. Never turn your back on a fallen brother or sister. Brothers, if someone's caught into sin, you who live by the Spirit, restore that person gently as you watch yourselves, or you will be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and so fulfill the love of Christ. Come on, stand with me. I want to say one more thing about that. I'm talking about church world right now. Hey, 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 keep the house lights on. I want to see the people. There you go. Thanks. When they turn it dark, I can't see you. I want, I, I want to see you. And I want you to look around. I want you to look around at other brothers and sisters that are in here. Just take a look. Can I just tell you, it is not my... It is not my style if I hear about somebody that's kind of struggling with a sin to just randomly decide I'm going to go confront them about their sin. 
restoring Christian brothers and sisters, it works best whenever it happens through relationships. Have you ever had somebody that you don't know all of a sudden think that they're going to talk to you about your personal life? It usually doesn't go very well. It's like you shut down, you don't want to hear it. But if you know that you know that you know that they love you and they come to you with humility, gently thinking about themselves because they too might be tempted, then you probably would open up and listen to them. The Bible has so much to say about, with clarity, about judging and discerning the needs that people have. I'm just pastoring us. Let's don't take a scripture out of context and excuse our behavior because we think Jesus said you can't be judged. We need to be accountable to one another. And we need some self-awareness. Amen? All right. I'm done. What y'all want to do now? How about we just examine our hearts? How about we just take a moment, maybe just kind of bow your heads before the Lord? With some self-awareness, maybe just examine your heart. Are you right with God? If you died right now, I mean, seriously, and you stood before the Lord, would you make it to heaven? Is there some work that God needs to do in your heart? If there is, I just want to pray with you. Listen, for those that are in Christ Jesus, there's no more condemnation. All of us make mistakes. But when we're in God's presence and the Lord's confronting us and it's time to get right with God and we know it, we need to. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Father God, I need you more than anything else. I don't want to be an actor. I don't want to play a role. I want to be right with God. So would you forgive me for every sin, all my rebellion, and would you cleanse me from it? Here's me, God. Come on, say that. Here's me, God. I give you my whole heart. Use me for your purpose. In Jesus' name. You you know, I find it interesting. You can't see what I can see. I got the lights on so I can see your faces. There are people that are all around here that are wiping tears out of their eyes because they're being touched by something so simple like this. You know what that means? It means to me that, that God is dealing with individual people in here. We don't want you not to get help. Let us help you go to the next step. There's a, there's a welcome card in the seat underneath you. You could just fill it out and just say, hey, I prayed with Pastor Ron and I need some help. And we will send somebody to you and help you go to the next step in your relationship with God. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, my family is here. Justin's family is here. We would love for you guys to love on them and greet them. And, um, and thank you very much for being so warm and hospitable. God bless you, everybody. Uh, go Chiefs.